Hey, what's up you guys, and welcome to this week's episode of LGBT, the podcast where we talk about homos, heteros, and everything in between. On this week's episode, we discuss all things politics. Why isn't everyone bothered by Donald Trump's blatant racism and homophobia? Why do Americans scream communism whenever democratic socialism is mentioned? Is Hillary Clinton really the messy bitch everyone makes her out to be? Break out your mugs, girls. It's time to spill some LGBT. Hi, and welcome to the second episode of our podcast. I'm Josh, and I'm going to keep this intro pretty short because we've been gone for like a month and a half. So to sum up the last month of my summer, um, I went to Mobile and ate artery-clogging food for a whole weekend. It was amazing. Uh, I went to Miami and left a note to a cute waiter from Ecuador, and I watched Black Lives Matter kick some ass peacefully at the Atlanta protests. Um, And one last thing, Amira can't be here to record this episode with me, and that makes me very sad, Uh, but my heart, the hole in my heart was filled by this this week's guest, Um, and she is the most politically knowledgeable person I have ever met in my entire life, male or female or whatever gender anyone could identify with, um, young, old, she was incredibly knowledgeable, knowledgeable and I learned so much. Um, so without further ado, please welcome Kerrigan Field. And flowers wilt as they grow, but I hope you know that I'll always stay by your side. Clouds pass over the sun. Stars burn out and darkness has won. But I hope you know that my love for you will never die. How's how's uh, the beginning of the school year? Um, it's you? a little bit stressful. College really? apps. Oh yeah. I have to start applying to college, which long time coming. Awesome. <laughs> See, like I'm a junior, so I don't really have to worry about that yet. Um. So, like, what what are your top choices right now? What are you looking at? Um. Okay. Well, I'm looking at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. Just some schools in the Northeast and. Some schools, I'm only applying to one school in state, so I'm applying to University of Georgia. Right. And just some schools in Washington, D.C., up northeast, George Washington and Georgetown are kind of my top two. Right. What, what do you think that you would you'd be doing there? Um, so I want to major in Middle Eastern Studies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really awesome that you guys, I guess you kind of have the goal of helping out the, the foreign affairs issues we're having right now, mm-hmm. I guess. 
that's kind of my main thing is uh, right. foreign policy. I want to be a foreign policy advisor. Yeah, and you'd be awesome in that um, because Kerrigan, I don't know if you guys probably don't know, but Kerrigan here is like the single most politically knowledgeable and minded high school student I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, which is why I wanted to have her on LGBT because I feel like um, a lot of what we stand for and what we push for and what we advocate for has to do with legislation and how we're represented in the government. Uh, do you agree? Yes. Um, I definitely think I more, I, I've never really considered myself an activist. I'm right. definitely more of a political person. Mm -hmm. And while I agree with activism and while I think it's great, I found kind of more of my my place in politics right so I think that it's definitely important to have you know people on the political level and people more on the activist side and creating laws is so important to yeah. giving people rights and just working with a community to get their needs addressed yeah and I definitely think it's important because I would definitely identify more so as an activist than a politician mm -hmm. because like I know pretty much nothing about uh, how to go even about pushing for legislation that I that I support besides voting. Um, so yeah, uh, we do have um, some, a, an email from a listener that is seeking some advice um, on things that she's been noticing going on in the politics around her and wanted our opinions on it. And by okay. that, I mean wanted your opinions on it because like I said, my knowledge is Good, we have an activist, no yeah, politician awesome. here, that's perfect. So, <laughs> this is like, um, so this email is from Audrey Johnson, and I'll go ahead and read it for you guys. Hey, LGBT hosts, to begin, I applaud you for your courage and dedication to create a podcast out there that can be a scary thing, and but you've done it, so I admire that. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. So much. That touched my heart. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on this article. Okay. Uh, even though it happened a few weeks ago, I still think it would be important to discuss. The article describes multiple cases of violent attacks on Donald Trump supporters. What is your opinion on this? Do you think these attacks are justified? If so, why? Do you think the media or the internet would have had an explosion had it been Donald Trump protesters violently attacking Hillary or Bernie supporters? Why? Okay, so um, I, I don't ever think violence is right. I don't think that that ever should be the first way to address a problem that you have with someone. Okay. So I'm totally against Donald Trump supporters being attacked, uh -huh. um, especially if they weren't attacking someone else. Like, It's not in self-defense if they're just being attacked. That's completely wrong because when you disagree with someone, it's important that you try, you don't address that with violence. Um, and I, I just have never thought that that's the way to deal with Donald Trump and kind of his ideology. Even though a lot of times I've seen his supporters incite violence or he kind of encourages violence, I don't think that that's the way to react. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the media goes and Twitter goes, I, I don't think that there has been as much coverage of but Donald Trump supporters being attacked than there has protesters being attacked right so I don't think that it would have reacted the same way but is it justifiable is there a reason for that yes a lot of times there is and I think a lot of times um, frequently 
violence at Donald Trump rallies is covered because a lot of times Donald Trump has encouraged that because he's kind of created this culture of violence around himself and his supporters. And he said, for one example, he said that he would pay the legal costs of someone who punched a protester. Mm -hmm. So I think that there are reasons that it's covered a lot more if a protester were to be attacked at a Donald Trump rally than a Donald Trump supporter being attacked. Um, I still think it's something that needs to be addressed because violence in any form in our country isn't necessarily the way that we should be dealing with things. When we have a problem, especially in a divisive political community that we have right now, um, violence is just going to make things worse. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a problem that needs to be covered overall more often. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's kind of unfortunate that we're not hearing about this, but at the same time there are reasons and um, it seems almost sometimes more scary when a protester is attacked just uh -huh. because Donald Trump is directly involved with that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you with uh, violence not being the answer or even um, an option Alpha, for yeah. any sort of uh, for any sort of political prog pro progression. Yeah. Um, and I did. I saw this somewhere, and I, I agree with it. And I'm gonna uh, tell you what I saw and see what your thoughts on it. You okay. can correct me if you think it's completely wrong. Um, because again, I very limited my political knowledge. Um, so uh, what I saw is that um, maybe not totally outright, but there is a certain narrative that Donald Trump um, paints in his campaign. Um, and uh, well, there are a, an abundance of narratives that he paints in his campaign. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, a specific one is that um, his supporters and the sort of radically right-wing uh, ideals that he supports um, in terms of, 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 of uh, society and mm -hmm. social issues. Um, and the narrative that he paints is that the people who believe what he believes and that support what he supports are sort of being oppressed in the society that we live in. Um, and that the media has, is becoming gradually more liberal um, and those around, the, well, the, the opinions that are extremely loud in the society that we live in are liberal and that um, the opinions of those who support Trump are being quote unquote oppressed. Um, and when you have these instances of Trump supporters being attacked, then it would support that narrative and that's why there's so much of an outcry. What, what do you think about that? Okay. Ooh, lots of thoughts about that. Yeah. Um, I think that there, there are a lot of people who support Donald Trump who have felt oppressed. Yeah. And to some extent... Okay, hold on one second. Okay, sorry about that. We were interrupted because we're recording at our school right now because we're extremely low-tech. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, Kerrigan, you were giving your thoughts on the, the Donald Trump narrative. On people, yeah, okay. So there are people who feel oppressed mm -hmm. that are a part of uh, Donald Trump's group, a part of the people who would possibly support him and do support him. And I think if you look at this from a political standpoint, they have been pushed out of the narrative, but I think in general in society they're not being oppressed. Mm -hmm. So. Um, politically, a lot of times we've kind of favored getting the minority vote because we know that minorities, the fastest growing population, especially like 
uh, the Latino community is one of the oh. fastest growing populations in I didn't know that. the United States. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's at least what I've heard in my political community. Right. So um, a lot of people are kind of trying to get that vote. And as we see jobs moving overseas and we see kind of a, we see our jobs and our industries changing mm -hmm. and shifting more towards technology and less towards manufacturing, a lot of people we've seen they've lost their jobs and there's kind of a community in the United States which is the manufacturing community of working class middle class kind of white men who have how aren't as educated and they feel like they've been pushed out of the narrative because mm -hmm. a lot of politicians support trade deals which they think have have caused them to lose their jobs a lot of politicians are focusing more on minority outreach, which I think is completely justified because we haven't had minority outreach in the past. But now that they're not a part of the narrative, now that they're not, now that we're trying to include people in our society and it's not just about white men, or we're trying to make it different than that, right. um, they feel like they're oppressed. Mm -hmm. And um, one of our teachers, also, he says frequently, like sometimes equality feels like oppression. Mm -hmm. because if you see other people getting the rights that you have seen that you've always had and they haven't, then it seems like you're being oppressed instead of they're being elevated. And so I think that's where a lot of Donald Trump supporters come from is they see the spotlight is shifted off of them and people aren't, you know, we, we used to praise Christopher Columbus. We used to praise all of these old white males who did stuff for us and who created history. And now we see that, you know, sometimes they engaged in genocide or they um, raped people. Mm -hmm. And as we see kind of our old political heroes kind of fall from the spotlight as we know more and we acknowledge more about our history, it seems as though the white males that we've always um, kind of seen as our champions are now tainted and so they think that again they're out of the spotlight as we become as they would say a more politically correct society but I think this is wrong because in our history we have we have wronged minority communities we I mean black black our black citizens were slaves mm -hmm. and they weren't citizens and they weren't given rights and a lot of times the Hispanic community, as we see, is still oppressed. Muslims are still oppressed, and black people are still oppressed. Um, but now that we're kind of acknowledging this and trying to work towards um, finding equality, or a certain group of people in the United States are trying to work towards equality, um, people kind of see this as them being oppressed. It's no longer us focusing on white people and their rights. It's focusing on giving other people rights. So I think that's where a lot of Donald Trump supporters, their ideology stems from. And I think that it's misconstrued, and I think that, personally, I disagree with it. But there is, there is kind of this lens that they're seeing history through, a lens that they're seeing the current landscape through, and that's why they're feeling oppressed. Okay. When really it's just that we're trying to focus on giving everyone privilege, mm -hmm. they see it as oppression. Right. Okay. And you said that um, that through this we're slowly moving toward having a more, quote, uh, politically correct society. Um, and you do hear that term thrown out a lot, mm -hmm. especially uh, in this year's election process and campaigning. Um, and I just wanted to ask, like, you know, your thoughts about uh, what 
exactly is political okay. correctness, uh, just to make that completely transparent, because I know a lot of people don't really understand that concept. And also, do you think that it's justifiable based on uh, where we're moving right now and how people, re how people react to things? Okay. So I think, um, for me at least, I know a lot of people have a different interpretation of political correctness. It's kind of, in a way, we're altering the way that we act and the way that we speak to in be more inclusive, mm -hmm. to make sure that we are not trying to offend other people and we're including them in a discussion. Right. I generally agree with political correctness. With anything, there's kind of a point where it reaches just kind of absurdity. And there have been occasions, and a lot, of, a lot of people in the media love to point out, well, at this college, they say someone of material wealth instead of rich kid. And obviously, that there's a point where, okay, political correctness is kind of crazy. Yeah. You can call someone rich. Exactly. It's um, not insulting yeah. at all. So <laughs> obviously, as the media loves to point out, there are some people who take it too far. And there are some conversations, I think, that people are kind of concerned about having or a little bit um, a little bit scared about having because they feel like they have to be politically correct and they don't want to offend people. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's the intention. I think the intention of political correctness is to say that, for example, when you're talking about gender, it's not, right. it's not just binary. Yeah. Um, so you're trying to include other people um, with pronouns. Uh, people kind of sometimes consider it politically correct to use they, them pronouns. Right. Um, it's trying to include people and make them feel comfortable. Um, and each person, I think, kind of has a range of what they feel is comfortable because some people get really offended by political correctness, which is funny to me. <laughs> and they think like, oh, now I have to say, now I have to say this word instead of what I used to say. And now we can't say the word retard because it's uncomfortable. And so some people kind of get offended by that because they can't say what they used to say. Right. Um, which, which I get, sometimes you yeah. have to tiptoe around and you have to change what you're saying, but I think that it's good in the end if you're making people feel more comfortable. Yes. And I do think it's necessary to have times where you kind of let people question things and kind of remove that barrier if it means that you can have a better discussion about race, gender, or sexuality. Mm -hmm. But I think in everyday usage, especially when you don't know someone very well, you want to make sure that you're not offending people and that you're not kind of devaluing them or saying that what they think or what they feel doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. Um, do you think that because it's, it's, very, uh, it's very obvious that uh, Donald Trump does not care about being politically correct in his campaign, do you think that one, it, that is helping or hurting his, uh, his campaign, and two, do you think that that gives um, license to him and his supporters to use um, their position of being against political correctness to sort of say whatever they want? So, I think that people, I think again there's kind of this insurgency of liberal ideas. We're mm -hmm. becoming a more progressive society and I, we definitely see that in colleges. Colleges are becoming very liberal and so you know, once you see this liberal insurgency, people feel as though, oh, well, the world is changing and I'm no longer included in that. Well, I'm oppressed mm -hmm. um, because people are becoming politically correct. So I think that this idea of breaking down barriers 
and Donald Trump's ideas of just being straight up with what he feels. Because a lot of politicians will kind of dodge the question, or they'll not really say what they think. Or a lot of times they use coded racism so that, you know, only select group of people know what they're saying when mm -hmm. they say, like, oh, well, let's be tough on crime. Well, usually that means let's imprison black people. Right. So Donald Trump saying instead of, oh, well, we need to restrict immigration, saying let's build a wall, get the Mexicans out. Like, right. That appeals to some people who feel like no politician has ever really spoken their mind, so it's empowering to them in some way. Um, but I don't think that gives them license to say whatever they want. Mm -hmm. I definitely don't think that political correctness should be used as a way to, I mean, defying political correctness should be used as a way to discriminate against people because it's not brave that Donald Trump is saying that we need to get rid of Muslims and Mexicans. It's, it's rude, it's wrong, and it's hateful. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely a line that he's crossed, it, several lines that he's crossed. And I think it, I think it helped him up until a few weeks ago right. when he... Um, he insulted Kazir Khan and his family, and um, he insinuated that because um, the the wife of Mr. Khan did not speak, that she somehow was being oppressed because she's Muslim and she may not have been able to speak. And he speak. defiled the names of you know Gold Star parents, and people kind of came to this realization that. Donald Trump's kind of an asshole, mm -hmm. and... Oh, you don't say. <laughs> right, right, right. I never noticed this. Um, so I think there's kind of a breaking point where we just keep seeing more of what he said recently when he called on the Second Amendment people to deal with Hillary Clinton. Um, it's, I think that was a sinuation of assassination, but maybe I'm crazy. Yeah. Um, but I think that that was completely crossing the line. So I think it, it's, it's helped him to an extent. Right. It's helped him in the way that people think, oh, well, it's fine that I don't like Mexicans. It's fine that I don't like Muslims. And so they love Donald Trump, but once you get to the point where it just sounds like craziness, mm -hmm. where even they're saying, really, why would you, why would you insinuate, insinuate that uh, Hillary Clinton should be shot? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, so that, that's why I think it's been hurting him in the past two weeks as he's crossed maybe too many lines. Um. I, <laughs> I think I I agree with what you're saying, um, and I don't know. I just think that Donald Trump, he has a very very strong opinions, yeah. and that's good for um, the infancy of a, can a presidential campaign mm -hmm. because your the point is to just get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. But if you what what people could learn if they took really any basic. Uh, politics class is that to win any general election you need to be pretty in the middle of where you stand and I know like you say on your social media and your Twitter account that you are a oh you moderate. actually look at my I do Twitter I do account. my, oh my research I do Ooh. you are a moderate liberal mm -hmm. which is if Donald Trump was a moderate Republican or moderate conservative it would be he would be much less controversial Mm -hmm. um, so, how do you think it would have affected his initial campaign if he was that moderate conservative? If he was more moderate, um, well, if he, I have a question, mm -hmm. if he said more moderate things or if he called himself a moderate? 
Oh, those are different. Because sometimes, more like myself, I think sometimes I call myself more of a moderate than I actually am. Right. Um, because I like to promote this idea of, I don't, I don't hate people who disagree with me. Uh -huh. And I think a lot of times my disposition is different than some of the radical left wing. Right. But I, I still do have pretty, um, pretty liberal views. So would you say him having more moderate positions and being more closed in what he says or like coding more of what he says or being more temperate? I would say coding more of okay. what he says because I feel like even if he wasn't the bombastic personality that he is, if he said the same things that he's saying, I feel like it probably would garner around mm -hmm. the same reaction. So, so. Um, let's see. I think, and this is probably terrible that I'm saying this, I think that he <laughs> probably would have fit in with some of the field. Oh, I think wow. that um, there, were, there were a few people who said some very coded, um, coded racist things who kind of insinuated some of the things that Donald Trump says, but without actually saying it completely. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he would have won because I don't know, because he's an outsider, and I think people like that he was outside of politics, so I don't always think that it was his beliefs mm -hmm. that kind of catapulted his campaign. Right. But also, I think it was definitely that he was not politically correct, and he was completely open in his views. So I, don't, I can't say that I know where he would have ended up, but I think that would have given more traction to some of his competitors, like Ted Cruz, mm -hmm. who I think is about almost equally as discriminatory sometimes. Yes. Um, especially when it comes to LGBTQ issues. He's worse than Donald Trump. He has said that people going into transgender bathrooms, if we, if we, allow, if we allow men, so-called men, to go into women's bathrooms, of course, these are trans, transgender women, um, that they would be pedophiles. And if we allow anyone to go into the bathroom, then our children would get like sexually assaulted, which mm -hmm. was completely wrong to insinuate that someone, A, is a man if they say they're a woman, but B, right. would be a pedophile. I don't know what makes transgender yeah, like, people you know, more likely to be a pedophile. Those things are a little mutually yeah. exclusive or a lot mutually right. exclusive. So, so I think that um, Ted Cruz was very much like Donald Trump and kind of his just hatred of other people. He just said it less often mm -hmm. and more coded. He, um, I think one time, I mean, he said that he was going to carpet bomb the Middle East, so he definitely doesn't like Middle Easterners. Right. He, he just said a lot of inflammatory things, but he kept it kind of out of the spotlight. And because Donald Trump was saying what Ted Cruz thought in his mind, because Donald Trump was being more open about what he thought, I think he got the spotlight. So I think it would have been maybe more of a competitive race had Donald Trump presented himself as being more of a moderate mm -hmm. and if he had kind of said well let's restrict immigration or you know we, immigration's a big problem instead of saying oh let's build a wall and deport Mexicans like, mm -hmm. so I think it would have been different I don't know what I don't know what would have happened though yeah me neither I mean like um, I do follow, even though I, I say that my political knowledge is very limited, I do follow, follow yeah, the... I follow what's going on because I like to know what's going mm -hmm. on. And I did follow all of the Republican uh, primaries and the initial debates and what happened on, oh, what a on, fun on, time. Yeah, <laughs> on, on that side of the spectrum. And um, 
I don't know. I feel like um, if I had to pick a candidate that I like the best, a Republican candidate, um, it would probably would have to be Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio. Yeah. Huh. That um, surprises me, actually. Really? Yes. Who do you think it would have been? I thought it would have been John Kasich. Really? Because he was always seen as the most moderate candidate. Also, because I think he was one of the only candidates who didn't, like focus on the whole like gay marriage issue right because marco rubio there's a lot of talk like mm -hmm. whether he's actually against gay marriage or whether right. it's kind of a hoax and he's doing it for the uh for the politics right. for the republican party because there was one time he got up on the debate stage and he goes well i want this to be a country where marriage is between a man and a woman which <laughs> <laughs> i saw that debate <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness oh uh, yeah. so rough but I think he was likable, and I'm not surprised, yeah. but I'm a little bit surprised because I thought you would prefer Kasich. Well, um, I will say that I don't know a lot about Kasich, okay. Okay. so that probably... He's much more moderate, yeah, but Rubio... Impacted my opinion. I gotta say, Rubio's a charmer. Like, yeah. He's a good speaker. He, he's, he's very, very likable, and that's important when you're campaigning, mm -hmm. because uh, being... Um, having charisma, and especially in front of the camera, and how everything is sensationalized by the media now. Okay. Uh, having charisma um, is a very big advantage, mm -hmm. uh, but it can't get you that far when you're up against a phenomenon like Donald Trump. Oh, so. yeah. Donald Trump has a different type of charisma, yeah, I guess. Because like... I don't think I've ever seen people so fervently support a candidate like that. Um, it's, it's different. Yeah, it's like, you know, and that's who I like the best out of all the Republican candidates, given that I didn't know a lot about John Kasich. Um, John Kasich was very hokey. Yeah. He was, very, <laughs> he was definitely from Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Ohio? I, I've met so many people from Ohio. They're, They're just great. like a great people. Hi. Shout out to Ohio. I, Ohio's Thank great. You. I love their <laughs> politics. Ohio and Iowa, I gotta say, are my probably awesome. my two favorite political Midwestern states. Are, are they swing, swing states? Yes, Both that's probably why are, I right? like that. Yeah, um, yeah. No, there's definitely. a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Depends on yeah. the year. I would never actually visit right. because a lot of cornfields. <laughs> I'm from the Midwest, so I can say this. I'm from Illinois. There are too many cornfields. Um, Iowa and Ohio, fun, fun to watch. Right. Um, so going back to the election process. Um, so you know, we have said that our society and the media, what we see all the time, is becoming uh, much more liberal in how we view here, it here in America. To an extent, yes. To an extent. Um, so why do you think that a phenomenon like Donald Trump is, has been able to get so far if we're going in the complete opposite direction? Great question. Fantastic question. Okay. <laughs> so first, to address this idea of the liberal media, uh -huh. I think... <clears throat> I don't think that the myth of the liberal media exists, but I do think that we're accepting more progressive values, which makes it seem very like the liberal media. Right. I think that we're, we have a more progressive media um, that's trying, trying at least, to embrace new ideas. I don't think it's necessarily liberal as in people think like, oh, well, they're associated with the Democrats. They must be left wing. But I do think we have a media that's uh, attempting to become more diverse, attempting to become a little bit more politically correct and inclusive. Um, and, then, and then we have people like Fox News, the people on Fox News yeah. and um, Breitbart, oh, God, which Fox is a news, um, I think they're a news publication, yeah. Breitbart and, and Fox News are very, very, very conservative. So we definitely have a reaction to that. 
But um, what was the second part of your question? Uh, why Donald Trump has gotten why so Donald far Trump, okay. and we're going the opposite direction. We love entertainment. Oh. I think it's because people, at least at the beginning, even I thought Donald Trump was a joke. And yeah. I remember, and I regret this now, <laughs> I remember I was at summer camp and I was with a bunch of political kids and we would always yell, Trump 16, Trump 16, because it was in the summer yeah. when he just announced his campaign. So we thought, oh, it's going to be There's hilarious. no way this guy can win. Yeah, there's no way. He's never going to get above 17% was, I think, what one of my teachers said. Never, never above 17%. Well, now we're in the 40s. Oh, and, God. You know, I think he's losing steam now, but it, it, who knows? So I think people like me, and people who like entertainment, who like a good laugh, and definitely because a lot of us, a lot of, not us, a lot of people don't really like politics and they think it's boring. Mm -hmm. So if you can spice things up and, oh, look at this guy who said Mexicans were rapists. He's a, he's a crazy man. Wow. Um, if you can give him some coverage, then people will be excited. They want to, everyone wanted to hear what Donald Trump would say next. And it, I think it wasn't until it was a little bit too late that we realized, oh, wow he could actually win and he did and this is this is inciting violence this is you know creating an atmosphere of hatred mm -hmm. but everyone everyone wanted to hear Donald Trump in another thing that he did that I think was very intelligent tactically he is one of the most open candidates when it comes to the media and he may sit there and he'll trash the media and he'll kick the media out of his events but he gives interviews all the time he'll phone in he used to phone into Morning Joe on MSNBC, or he phones into CNN, or he gets his circuits on all the different news networks. And so when you have this guy that people find exciting and entertaining and maybe funny and relatable, I don't know. I don't really think he's a relatable guy, but yeah. if you don't like Mexicans, then I guess he's relatable. <laughs> Again, I keep coming back to don't like Mexicans. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, like, you could just put anything after that don't like, right. and it could be, like, I don't like black people, yeah. don't like gay people, don't like Muslims. Don't, don't like, like women. Yeah, um, I mean. It's pretty much everything with <laughs> Donald Trump. I think the Mexicans was the first thing I really realized. I was like, wow, he really hates, you he know, really hates Mexicans. He wants to call Hispanics Mexicans, and, like, everyone is Mexican. Um, but when people kind of found that he was entertaining, that he was a bit different, and they grasped onto that, I mean, after he said Mexicans are rapists, it was on the news for a week mm -hmm. because it was, it was shocking. And so, especially with a media that likes to sensationalize things, Donald Trump was perfect. He was perfect because he was accessible, he kept saying crazy things, and people loved it. And so they just, they just kept giving him coverage, and it wasn't you know too long until you had to give him coverage because he was leading. And and I, that's exactly what created his, his kind of media sensationalism was the scandal after another. Right. It was one thing after the other, and you just couldn't stop covering Donald Trump. And honestly, it took me a while before I said, okay, I want to stop hearing about Donald Trump, because yeah. even I found him entertaining and um, kind of captivating still. Mm -hmm. I think his, you know, the effect that he's had on people is captivating, scary, but it's 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 interesting because yeah. he's definitely played with the minds of a lot of people in our country. Um, and I definitely think that um, even when you look at fields outside of politics, um, say entertainment, mm -hmm. uh, music, art, shock value sells mm -hmm. very well. Yeah. Um, and when applied to a field like politics, where um, public opinion about it is 
pretty much non-existent, uh, boring, yeah, uninteresting. When you add a sh- yeah, <laughs> you know, um, when you add shock value to that, it mm. will completely jumpstart whatever you're trying to do, okay. and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what you're saying. Mm. I will say that um, I, at first, the notion of when Donald Trump first uh, mm-hmm. announced his, uh, his, ca- his, uh, his campaign as a presidential candidate, um, I didn't laugh. I Good for you. Did, yeah, I didn't laugh, but I did think that it was, cra- I, think he, I thought it was crazy, a crazy mm-hmm. idea. I was like, there's no possible way that this yeah. guy can... Can uh, can become uh, the Republican candidate, and even if he would get that far, there's no way he would win a general election. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at first I was skeptical. That's how I felt. I didn't think it was funny. I was very skeptical. Okay. But as from the first from the first time I sat through a Republican debate, a uh, Republican presidential debate uh, back in uh, first semester of sophomore think, year, yeah, yeah. so August, back in September. September of last year, and I saw him speak in that debate for the first time, I went from being skeptical to being terrified. Um, And I don't know, that probably has to do with my status as a triple minority and the way I reacted to that. Um, But I don't know, like, I, there was never a time where I, after that, that I looked at a photo of Donald Trump giving a speech or saw a video of him giving a speech, and I didn't feel like something bad was going to happen. I didn't have a feeling of dread. Um, And obviously that's heavily biased because of my background, and there are a lot of people who hear Donald Trump speak and agree with every single word that comes out of his mouth. Um, And that, I mean, it's not my place to tell them that that's not valid, that those are their experiences. You know, you can have them, it doesn't mean they're right. And it's not a place to tell you that they're wrong, but I mean, I can't stop you from having those opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like you know, I definitely feel like your reaction to Donald Trump depends on where you come from. Oh yeah, I think definitely kind of my reaction, being someone well, a I pay attention to politics all the time, right. so I also feel like I'm a little bit desensitized to things because when you hear crazy things all the time, I mean. <laughs> It's kind of funny. Sometimes yeah. you just have to look back and laugh. But yeah, there's no also, harm in laughing at yeah, things. Ever. Also, white privilege mm-hmm. is definitely a thing. And yeah, I'm a woman, but I think it definitely, with Donald Trump, he goes after minorities a lot more than he does women. He's not respectful to women, right. but he's going to kick the Mexicans and the Muslims out of the country. And I think that just kind of me being a white person, I didn't feel like I was a part of that narrative of being kicked out of the country. I didn't think, oh my goodness, is my family, you know, are people going to start hating on me for being Muslim? Are people going to try to deport me? What is, what are, how are his policies going to affect me? I didn't think about that until a a little bit later. I can't say, I mean, I think after, you know, the first one or two debates, Donald Trump started, stopped being funny altogether. So it wasn't that long. But I think definitely my white privilege played into it because he wasn't going to affect me as much as he would affect you or anyone else that mm-hmm. is a minority. So, um, And I definitely respect that you are willing to embrace uh, your privilege um, because there are a lot of people who aren't willing to do that and completely deny the existence of white privilege, which I don't think is... Um, 
you know, I, I understand why people are hesitant to acknowledge something like that, because um, personally, I think that there are a lot of people who n aren't inherently bad. Um, and I think that sometimes it's just hard for people to grasp that even though they believe in equality or may not have any sort of conscious reservations about other groups of people, that um, it's kind of hard for a lot of people to accept that um, even though they stand for, for progressive views, that things they can't control benefit them. Um, and so, like, you know, obviously I'm not going to sit here and give white people who acknowledge their privilege and work towards making it so that everyone has an equal amount of privilege, which wouldn't be privilege anymore. Yeah. It'd just be equity. Um, I'm not going to, you know, sit there and pat them on the back and be like, you know, here's a cookie for you, yeah, gold right. star. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know. Um, should be expected. Yeah, it should be. Um, it's like the same way where I'm not going to, like, uh, pat someone, uh, a straight person on the back for not using the word faggot or yeah. like something like that. And um, so like I understand why it's hard for people to understand, but also when people do understand, I'm not just going to be like, Good for you, you're the best up. person you're ever. You're the yeah. best person humanity's ever seen. Right. I think <laughs> people, a lot of people like their white privilege. And I and I have to say, I mean, privilege is great. Right. Uh, me being able to walk pretty much anywhere and not be looked at. I'm not shot because I'm wearing a hoodie. I'm not, I can walk into a black neighborhood and I'm going to be treated with respect. I'm not going to be treated like I'm a robber. Um, that would be different if a black guy walked into a white neighborhood. So I think people think, well, I, I want to keep my privilege. Well, you can, you can keep your privilege and also elevate other people. Right. And like you said, that'd be equity. And so of course, of course, it's it's fine to like privilege. It's just you need to want to extend that to everybody else. Yeah, and because as soon as your privilege is as exclusive to the group of people that you are a part of, then that becomes discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, I definitely respect you for uh, for acknowledging that. Uh, but we do have a second half of the email with a lot of more email. Uh, yeah, more yes. more email. Thank you, thank you, Audrey. You're the best. Um, and it covers uh, the other half of the political spectrum, uh, having to do with Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Uh, so. This is really where yeah. I didn't have nuanced opinions. Yeah, Kerrigan just had a come to Jesus moment. Oh my God, um, okay, so, so like, there's a long string of questions, and you can listen to them and pick the ones you want to answer or answer all of them. It's all okay. up to you. I'm just going to follow your lead. Um, so, yeah, Audrey would like to know. Uh, what do you guys think about young people, specifically min the millennial generation? Um, why do you think they're so attracted to Bernie Sanders or socialist ideas? Uh, oh, you did a little fist bump. You can go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do I think? Okay. So I kind of have some of my theories on this. Uh -huh. and I can't say that Bernie Sanders was my first choice. Right. I um I may be the one Martin O'Malley supporter in oh, the yeah. entire world. Oh yeah, you had um, him as your your Twitter icon for a little bit. I saw that. Did <laughs> I think Martin O'Malley yeah. supporter? Oh my goodness, it still makes me laugh. Um, so, but I, I worked on the Bernie Sanders campaign in Atlanta, uh -huh. and so I, I see that. Right. I saw a lot of young people, and I'm kind of a young person who identifies kind of. I'm definitely not a socialist. I'm not a democratic socialist. I kind of figured that out this year 
but I, I agree with a lot of democratic socialist ideals. Right. That's kind of where the moderate liberal comes in. Um, I'm still a capitalist, but my, my family, they're democratic socialist, and they love Bernie Sanders. Right. Um, my mom has loved him for eight years. <laughs> yeah, he's been, he's been on this show every single week for an hour, and she's listened to him religiously. She loves Bernie Sanders. So I definitely get where people are coming from. And I think that a lot of millennials are supportive of Bernie Sanders because I think that he's someone who, I'm not going to say he's in the same vein as Donald Trump. They're definitely different, mm -hmm. but he kind of, he creates optimism and just, he's exciting. He's different. Mm -hmm. He's still a political outsider. And I think that a lot of millennials growing up with kind of cynicism, rightful cynicism, right. you know, the market crashed, um, college is expensive. It seems that politicians don't really care anymore. So having someone who's an outsider who, you know, he kind of says what he thinks still. He, um, I would say he's politically correct, but he doesn't have as much of a filter. Mm -hmm. uh, he calls himself a democratic socialist, and that's, that's yeah, socialist. That, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's something in, in itself. election. Yeah. So... I think kind of having someone who seems outside of the norm is great for millennials because what has, what has got us in this mess, what has kind of made the market crash, everyone thinks is politicians, mm -hmm. which to some extent is valid. I'm not going to get into that conversation. <laughs> but um, So it's someone who's different. I think that Bernie Sanders seems to be the most accepting towards new ideas, towards kind of this new liberal ideas you know, including more people and including minorities and in, including people in the LGBTQ community. Uh -huh. um, Bernie Sanders isn't the best at talking about it, but as a person, I think that he seems very supportive yeah. of it. And he, he wanted to court millennials. He made the effort to get the young vote. And I think that he got part of the young vote is because young people don't have a problem with socialism compared to the older generation. The older generation thinks Soviet Union, Cold yeah, War. Right. They have you know, something attached to this idea of socialism. But the newer generation, and especially people that kind of study international relations like me, we see countries such as Norway, Finland, um, Sweden, who are democratic socialist countries, basically, in their values. And they have the highest standard of living. So we're kind of looking at a different type of socialism. Right. And it, it's ideal. And when you have student loan debt and when people are figuring out that health care is expensive, like I have to pay $200 for my asthma medicine, that's dumb. That's, yeah, so that's people ridiculous. like me who are kind of growing up under these problems, it sounds great to have when he talks about free tuition and kind of breaking down barriers of uh, socioeconomics so that people can go to school and people can have free health care and I think that a lot of younger people seeing um, you know Europe has always been very very strong as a continent and they've had always you know we've grown up under the EU being strong and kind of all of these countries we always hear about how great Europe is and mm -hmm. their great standard of living so when you grow up under that and you see that he's proposing I ideas that are working in Europe it sounds great and you know, it would, it would be great if, you know, we had some of, I think it would be great if we had some of those um, ideas in place and those systems in place. And so I think he has courted millennials because he's different and he kind of, 
he brings the excitement that a lot of them haven't seen in other candidates. Um, that's why Obama got a lot of the young vote too, is because young people love exciting politicians. Yeah. They love someone who's different, um, who just is kind of optimistic. Bernie Sanders is almost kind of blindly optimistic right, in like, some ways, <laughs> which is great. Uh, so people gravitate towards that. Yeah, who doesn't love like a 70 plus year old man, your old white man, right? Talking about <laughs> free college for everyone. Right. Like, he reminds you of your grandpa or something. Yeah, you know, I, I had like one he girl. She said, He reminds so me of my Jewish grandpa. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay. So, how come the millennial majority doesn't have the same reaction to someone like Hillary Clinton, who in some ways is e equally as different as Bernie Sanders is? Oh, yes. Um, I have to say, I, I'm i definitely one of those people that's not excited by Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. um, I have a soft spot towards her because I grew up with Hillary Clinton being my political hero. Yeah. At 2008, I loved her. I always wanted a woman president when I was a young kid, and then, you know, things got thrown into the mix and she's not my favorite now. Right. But I, I think it's kind of her young people like idealism, I was talking about that. She's very pragmatic. And when she talks, she talks about details. And it's not kind of these overarching ideas of equality in a great society where we can have free health care and college. It's kind of more of, okay, well, we need to be more pragmatic. We need to bring you down. And I think that that can play to her advantage because she can get a lot of things done that way because mm -hmm. she thinks about it in detail. But it doesn't really court young voters because they want someone who's, you know, has more of an idealistic view of the world and someone who they think is going to get things done. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that Hillary Clinton will get things done, but she's, she's starting at the table with a lot less than Bernie Sanders is starting with. He's starting with a bunch of ideas that are big and broad and difficult to get done. She's starting with, you know, about equally as many ideas, but just kind of a little bit more in the pragmatic term and side of reality. And she's asking for less. And also, she's not, I'm not saying Bernie Sanders is charismatic, but she, she's kind of boring to listen to, mm -hmm. which is fine. Um, but a lot of millennials, again, want someone who's exciting. They want someone who's different, and she is a well-seasoned politician. She's been there for a long time, and she sounds like a politician. She, she, she's just not as exciting to a lot of people, and I don't think that she has the same, same appeal because she is a political insider because of the way she talks, because of just kind of who she is. And it's unfortunate, but I think that that's just the reality. And she hasn't done much to try to court millennials. Mm -hmm. um, I really don't think she's done a great job with, uh, with female voters. She's done a great job with um, minority outreach, but I think she's definitely missed with millennials, and I don't think that she's tried very hard to get that. Now, I think I, you know, in the general election, she's probably going to focus more on college right. and college debt because she sees that as a way to connect with millennials, but she hasn't done that so far, especially as much as Bernie Sanders. So. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely during the course of this election, you hear like, a lot of people say, well, I don't like Trump, and I don't like Hillary. I don't like either of them. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, like, obviously we want people to vote because that's the goal here, because if you don't vote, then that just basically defeats the whole purpose of the system. Um, so 
why do you think that because there are people who don't a lot of there's a big part of the population that doesn't like either of the um well I, they're not perspective anymore yeah. they're they're the candidates now right pretty much mm -hmm. set in stone that they're the candidates why do you think that um when uh, there were a lot of people that didn't like either of them that a strong third-party candidate didn't emerge. Okay. Um, I think that a lot of history is kind of rooted in the failure of third parties, at least in the United States. Uh -huh. So I think that even when we don't like both candidates, there's not really the idea to have, have a third party because we think, oh, well, that will never work out. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit. Uh -huh. uh, well, a third party won't work out because no one will vote for them, so let's not have one, and then we don't have one. I also think that uh, a lot of people like to put themselves in labels, and when there's not a strong third party, people don't want to say that they're independent as much, and it's either Democrats or Republicans, so you kind of get to choose between two, and I think a lot of people do fall into this category of, well, I hate both of them, maybe I'll vote for the one I hate less. Um, and I don't think a strong third party candidate has merged partially because of the insider politics of it. Mm -hmm. So Donald Trump did flirt with the idea of being third party. Um, Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, flirted with the idea of third party. And Bernie Sanders, a lot of people thought, you know, as a registered independent, he would go third party. And he decided to run in the Democratic race because a lot of them have a party affiliation and they don't want to tick off one or the other party. So if you're going to run independent, well, Bloomberg might take votes from the Democrats and does he want Trump to win? Well, that's why he didn't run independent. He said, you know, I might have taken votes away from Hillary Clinton and I would rather her be president than Donald Trump. So it's kind of this fear that you're going to take votes away from a party and especially when Bernie Sanders, he was an independent but he still was affiliated with the Democrats. It was this thought of, well, they're going to be really mad if Donald Trump wins because I took away votes. Mm -hmm. So since third parties kind of haven't emerged, independent races haven't worked out either because you're always scared of taking away from one side or the other. Also, the third party candidates that we have, I don't think they're very strong. Um, Jill Stein doesn't have any political experience, and she... Um, She's interesting. She's very fiery, and I feel like she attacks Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton more than she actually does talk about her own views sometimes. And Gary Johnson, he it was the former governor of New Mexico. Yeah, yeah, wow. New Mexico. He's the libertarian candidate. But he's kind of an odd guy. He you know, hasn't had much experience since then. Um, he's not... He's not a typical politician, but he's also just kind of a weird guy, so people are kind of more uncomfortable voting for him. So mm -hmm. I think in the end, people realize, well, who do I hate less? And that's why they're yeah, picking. The lesser of two evils. It's, it's, yeah, it's the fear of either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump that's forcing them to say, okay, well, I have to vote for one, because yeah. I don't want the other to win. I mean, personally, I'm, I'm not scared of Hillary Clinton. Um, I don't think that she would make a bad president. Um, he's not my favorite, mm -hmm. but I don't think that she would make a bad president. Um, and if I could vote, if I was of age, I probably would vote for Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Because, just because, one, I don't think she'd be a bad president, and two, I'm terrified of Donald Trump. So, yeah, 
But um, taking a step back from uh, this year's election, because we just spent, what, 45, 50, good time. 50, yeah, yeah. 50 some odd minutes talking about it. Um, let's talk about uh, you on a more personal level. Okay. So um, uh, do you identify as any part of the LGBT community besides an ally? I do not. You yeah, do I'm not. an ally. Okay. So. Uh, well, that's perfectly valid. Um, I'm pretty sure you know since you're pretty well versed in the uh, in the world of, of social politics that um, an ally is really really valuable in um, in <sighs> I forgot the word for it. It's just like basically being an outlet for the for the voices of the people to mm -hmm. be uh, compounded and made louder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you just like you know, and I know you as a person, and I know that you don't try to to speak over the the people, um, and I really value that. Thank you so much for that. Um, so, tell walk us through how you basically came to your infatuation with the world of politics. Oh my goodness! So, <laughs> um, well, thank you, thank you for that. That that was. You speak so highly of me. Yeah. Um, so I, I was I was eight. Yeah, it was the oh, 2008 wow. election. It was I think it was my parents. I'm gonna, I have to give credit to them. Um, I had just moved from Illinois to Washington, and um, my parents were completely removed from their old friends from re from religion. You know, we couldn't really find a church, so we were kind of out of the religious community. Um, my mom didn't really have much to do. She was kind of trying to reestablish her life and kind of being away from her church where she, she had always identified as a Democrat, but we were always around Republicans. So she was away from the church and she kind of started reevaluating her views and what she thought. She turned on some talk radio, very, very liberal talk radio, <laughs> and she just slowly morphed into the Democratic Socialist that I know her as now. Um, and so I would, uh, we would always drive from where I lived to Portland, Oregon, which was 20 minutes away. I lived right across the border from Portland, Oregon. And she would turn on the radio. And so I'd listen to the radio as we were going to choir. I, yeah, I was in choir. So we would drive like two, three times a week and I would listen to talk radio while I was doing some of my homework. And so I just, I don't know, it just became really interesting. And I think it was partially because it was a historic year. Mm -hmm. I mean. It was Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, right. a, a black man and a woman. Like, it was fantastic. And it was just kind of this, at least from the Democratic side, it was a very exciting election. And, you know, only hearing it from the Democrat side of view, uh, point of view, not side of view, point of view, um, I, just, I, um, I just became very interested. I don't know what kind of pulled me to that. But I listened to I listened to the radio, and then after the election, oh, I, I loved Obama, and I got a commemorative coin for his election. <laughs> so you can you can see how infatuated I was. Um, I woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning to watch his inauguration because I was fascinated with the history of Obama. I want an Obama um, coin. Yeah, it's it pretty great. I, I have three <laughs> of them, and I only ordered one of them, but they sent me two extras. I was like, okay, I'll take it. Awesome. Um, so I was I was very deeply involved in politics. Then for a while, I kind of drifted off a little bit, but I always I just kind of taught myself about politics. I listened to politics, and I don't know, I, internet searches, being on whatever, 
And then it wasn't until last year that I actually decided that I was going to kind of pursue politics. After going to a summer program where I talked for an entire month, about 24 hours a day about politics, and mm -hmm. I realized, oh, I can do this. I, I love this. Of course I want to be a politician. So I kind of came back to politics, and that's when um, I decided that I was going to pursue it, whatever that means, um, pursue politics. And I got on Twitter around the Iowa caucus, and I just started tweeting about politics during the primaries. And I started live tweeting the debates, which I'm sure annoyed everyone. <laughs> I started following Martin O'Malley, of course. Um, and that's kind of when I think I became actually politically active, was when I got on Twitter, I started talking, and I've met a bunch of cool people. I work for a few local campaigns, and. Um, and now I'm actually doing stuff in politics. But yeah, no, it's been fun and um, it's been an interesting journey since I was eight, eight years old, um, just kind of going in and out of politics because, you know, for a while, I, I still, it was always there. It was always a presence in my life. But sometimes I'd be like, well, no, I want to I be an actress instead or, mm -hmm. oh, I want to do this instead. And so I kind of let some of my hobbies take over in my life. And then I'd always come back to politics. Oh, well, I want to be a politician again. So that's just kind of how it happened. So it was sort of just like your constant? Yeah. Like you would try out things, like it wouldn't work out, but yeah. like politics was just like, wow, I yeah. really love this. It was kind of the constant thread in my life since I was eight. That's like, that's awesome. I really respect that. Um, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, and just one last thing, because we're almost out of time. Um, and it's, it's very broad, so I apologize. You can just answer to the best of your ability, um, just to tie everything together with the purpose of this podcast. Um, the LGBT community is uh, very, very controversial in terms of modern politics now, especially because gay marriage was legalized last year, right? Yeah. Um, and now there are transgender issues coming uh, into prominence and uh, I'm pretty sure that this isn't the last what we're going to see having to do with LGBT legislation, whether it would be pro-LGBT or anti-LGBT. So where do you think that the community um, where their future lies so, in the direction that we're going. Okay. I think that I have the view that most of the time and throughout the course of history we've progressed. We've become more progressive and accepting and we've come a long ways. If, if we look at kind of the history of any kind of minority group or a group that's oppressed, we've come a long ways. So I think in the end um, the LGBTQ community will find more equality and I think it's very difficult to reach this you know a place of equality we haven't done it with a lot of minority groups um, we haven't done it with women mm -mm. but um, I think that it's trending in a good direction but right now we've kind of hit what I would say is like a, a hitch and we've kind of seen almost a reactionary movement to the acceptance of the LGBTQ community and the um, kind of the legal rights that they've been given to now get married, which is crazy that it only right. happened a year ago that, <laughs> the, you know, that gay people could get married. That's, it's weird to me yeah. that it took that long. But um, I think that we've hit this time where people feel as though somehow their religion is they're being discriminated against because gay people can get married, which I don't understand because I think that, you know, you do what you think is right for you, and if you think being gay is a sin, well, then don't be gay, and you'd let other people live their lives. Um, that being said, I don't really think you could choose to be gay, but 
you know, just don't be gay if you think it's yeah. a sin. I mean, if you're not gay, don't be gay. Yeah. It's very simple. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So don't impose on other people's lives um, if you think it's wrong. But these people think that they have to go and that they have to uh, somehow um, almost help their religion out. They need to... Um, defend their religious beliefs and so they think that they need to get into politics and they need to make uh, laws that you know discriminate against gay people we've seen in Georgia they um, have talked about you know the, the law that governor uh, deal vetoed um, which said that you could choose to give service to someone if they were gay you can deny service and you know um, the only reason that we really haven't seen more of those bills succeed is because a lot of industries have said hey if you have a discriminatory bill we're not coming to your state and so I think that we've seen this insurgency of people who somehow feel oppressed by gay people getting rights um, by the LGBTQ community being accepted and they feel that they have to um, enact legislation so I think right now kind of with the rise of the religious right we're seeing a pushback to that I don't think that the Supreme Court case will be overruled. I think that, you know, gay people, they've, they've gotten the right to vote. I mean, right. to get married. To get married. Yeah. <laughs> right to vote. <laughs> Way different. Completely different issue. <laughs> <laughs> the right to get married, that won't be overturned. But I still think that we're going to see kind of this hateful rhetoric of, well, let's try to over overturn the Supreme Court case or let's, let's try to enact bathroom legislation because apparently it matters where people go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, but hopefully um, that will end soon. Hopefully people will start seeing that, you know, if, if transgender people want to go in the bathroom that they choose or if gay people want to get married, well, it's not, it's not affecting their standard of living. It's not affecting their daily life. A gay person coming into your restaurant and eating isn't, isn't hurting you. It's not spreading some disease or something, you know? Right. Um, I, I hope that people will see that. And I hope that more politicians will become a little bit more active when it comes to gay rights. I think a lot of them have been, and I think that a lot of, a lot of at least Democrats, have kind of embraced this idea of, you know, let's make sure that people have their rights and they're not discriminated against. But I wish that more, you know, politicians that are kind of on the right would say, hey, this is wrong. I may not personally agree with gay marriage or I may think this or that, but discriminating against people is wrong. Yeah. So that's where I hope that we end up and I hope that more straight people can become allies and realize that, hey, this may not be your issue, but mm -hmm. it's something that's still important. I, I really wish that we could kind of reach a, a state of equality sooner than I think that it will happen, but I think that we're trending in a good direction. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's important to, um, to remain hopeful because even, even like you said, we're, we're at a point in history where we haven't even solved um, or provided a certain amount of equity for, for women or for black people at, or for immigrants. And those things we've been fighting for for a very, very long time. And there's still a long way to go even though we've come a long way. And I feel like that's also applicable to the LGBT community. We've come an immensely long way in terms of visibility in just a short time from the present to say the, the, the 60s through the 80s when the insurgence of visibility for, for gay men came into prominence and now 
it's turning, it's been uh, extended to the other part of the LGBT community for lesbian women, for uh, bisexual mm -hmm. people, for transgender people, and the whole, um, for asexual There's people, pan, pansexual, yeah. pe pansexual people, and I definitely think, yeah, I agree that we're trending in a good direction, and I definitely agree that it's important to remain hopeful, so, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming thank to talk you. to me today with uh, your very extensive pool of knowledge. Um, uh, where <laughs> can people you. find you on the internet? Um, probably find me on Twitter. Yeah. That's where I'm probably most active. Um, should I get my Twitter handle? Yeah, do it. Um, Twitter handle is Kerrigan Thiel, at Kerrigan Thiel, um, C-A-R-A-G-A-N-T-H-I-E-L. Awesome. Okay. And yeah, that's where I talk about politics most. So. <laughs> yeah, so I'll provide... Um, both of our links are in the description if you guys want to follow us on social media. Thanks for listening. See you guys next time. Oh